0: would turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Uh, If you're new with us, we've been in a series called Faith Under Fire in the book of Galatians, and today we find ourselves in the middle of chapter 3, and we're going to continue on uh, in this study. Again, this is, you're seeing as we've gone through this first part of Galatians that um, there was a lot of, some of it direct attack, but there was also indirect attack Uh, on the faith, meaning there was this tendency to want to revert back to what was known before or somehow to combine and mix the two. uh, uh, For Jews especially, they wanted to to take what they'd always been doing and combine it with their newfound faith in Christ and kind of make a hybrid, but that's not the way it's supposed to work. And so today we're going to really dial in on uh, a message that I entitled, The Priority of the Promise. Okay, And the promise really is, it was given to Abraham. And I'm going to try to stay as much as I can out of the law part because that's going to come next week from Pastor Steve. Um, I'll touch on this a little bit so we can understand uh, uh, how great the promise is, but the law will be kind of uh, fleshed out a little more next week. So if you would, I want you to repeat after me this phrase. All right, faith that saves saves. is a faith Faith that that obeys. Okay, faith that saves is a faith that obeys. If you take nothing else out of here today, I would ask that you take this phrase that faith that saves is a faith that obeys. Okay, so don't leave yet. All right, there's more to the message. But if when you do leave, just at least take that out of it if you hear nothing else. So in Galatians chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse 15. And again, um, if you look beforehand, you know Paul, Paul is, is bringing um, some argument about the law, and, and he's re- referred back to Christ dying on the cross, uh, trying to get their minds and, and the gears turning. And so he's springboarding off of that argument beforehand into this uh, verse here in 15. And he says, "...to give a human example, brothers..." Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you, God, just for this, this, uh, these few moments together. God, I pray that you just open our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many here know about promises? Okay. Okay. Anybody ever made a promise? I, I can't see. Come on. I'm, yeah, there we go. Everybody's made a promise. How many have broken a promise? Well, you guys are so honest. Love you guys. It's a good group. That's why I love this church. Yeah, we all, we all pretty much have broken a promise, haven't we? Hopefully it was we tried our best. You know, maybe it was indirect or we didn't plan on that. I tell you, I have, again, my free sermon material, my children, They always, uh, and you probably know this with children as well, it's like if you promise them something, you better deliver on it, right? Especially my youngest son, Joshua, uh, if I, and the thing with him, what's hard is there's no concept of time for him. We found this out, Abiel, wherever you're at, yeah, you know all too well, right? Aren't you the one that took us down that road? about their birthday and Paul Patrol, He wanted this gift for his birthday, and so we, we threw the whole, we'll get it for your birthday, but the problem is his birthday was three months away. And so in his mind, you know, the birthday is like tomorrow or the next. and so for about two weeks, maybe three, every single day we're combating this attack, this vigilant attack from our son about when his birthday is, and, and Abiel actually suggested maybe we just have a fake birthday and just get it over with, And uh, <laughs> but we didn't, but... Because we said, we'll get that for your birthday. Now, he didn't understand the concept of time of when his birthday actually was, but he was holding us to the promise, okay? Now, again, as you know, when you make a promise, many things can happen between the time you make that promise and the time that it happens. And you may even find, and there's a point to all this, that there's even times when maybe it looks like you're going in the opposite direction of the promise or you're doing something other than what the promise was, okay? And, and so keep this in mind. It's, it's kind of the same idea with how the Jews really viewed the law, okay? The law that was given to Abraham, I mean, sorry, to Moses, if, if you will, it kind of was in the, if you want to put it in parentheses, all right? So you have Abraham, the promise of his offspring, Jesus, all right, at the end. And in there, the law was kind of inserted, in parentheses, okay? It didn't change the ultimate end, but in there you have that, and so there was some confusion going on of the purpose, what the purpose of the law was. Now, it, as we began this verse here uh, in 15, I want you to, want, the first thing I want us to know is that Paul, regardless if you go up earlier, if you've been here, all right, how does he start out in 3 verse 1? Oh, foolish Galatians, and he says in verse 3 as well, are you so fool?" I mean, he's hammering these guys, you know, verbally punching them in the face. But notice how he starts verse 15 to give a human example, brothers, okay? This, this is just, it's, it's important enough that I want to stop here just for a moment. Notice that even how much he loves the Galatians. Notice even amidst disagreement, even amidst a kind of, you know, a slap on the hand or or maybe a a big stick over the head with what he's saying to them, he still calls them brothers because he loves them and because he wants to show that they are joined in Christ. And I want you to catch that last phrase. You see, while he loves them and that part does exist, but he's also moving towards his point that he wants to make. That's why he uses this term brothers. All right? And it's, again, it's, it's significant that Paul is doing this because he wants to establish who the true children of Abraham are. That it's no longer through a descendant of Abraham physically, but now it's through Christ that they are joined together. God's promise to Abraham rested solely on God's own goodness. All right, Abraham had done nothing in his own power to deserve this gift. See, long time ago in the Old Testament, God gave a promise to Abraham to make him a great nation. All right, and it was only because of God and his goodness. Okay, are are people here, anyone here familiar with adoption? Maybe you've adopted. We have not adopted, but we know people that, that have. Let me ask you a question. When you were adopting a child, did that child do anything to pursue you? I don't think they, not that I know of, any of the stories I've, that the child is existing either with a family, a foster family, in an orphanage, uh, something, they are oblivious to the fact, and, and if you have adopted or know people, it's not an easy process, is it? There's tons of paperwork. It costs lots of money, and it takes usually a long time. So all that time, that family is going through this process, pursuing that child. That child is oblivious to the fact that that is taking place. But then one day they show up, and they say, welcome to the family. Not because of what the child did, but because of what the parents did. And the same is true with God, is that by his grace... Shown to Abraham, he chose to adopt him and, again, all of us now into the family of God. All right? It's through adoption. Throughout the Old Testament, we see many examples of God's grace. It's quiet in here, probably because most people don't look at the Old Testament and see much grace, because it's... (laughs) Lots of people being killed, typically, battles, wars, uh, a God that's, you know, hellfire, brimstone, striking. You know, this is what the Old Testament typically encapsules. Um, I have a, this is all the Old Testament, uh, books of the, the Old Testament. I'm just going to read a few. I'll, I'll post this online as well if you're interested in it. But th- these are, this is just God's grace through the Old Testament, and I want to share just some of these with you. Um, in Genesis, right, God, it shows God's grace to a universally wicked world as he enters into relationship with a sinful family line, which is Abraham, and promises to bless the world through him. In Exodus, shows God's grace to his enslaved people in bringing them out of Egyptian bondage. Numbers shows God's grace in patiently sustaining his grumbling people in the wilderness. Amen to that. And bringing them to the border of the promised land, not because of them, but in spite of them. In Ruth, he shows God's grace in incorporating a poverty-stricken, desolate, foreign woman into the lineage of Christ. Ezra shows God's grace to Israel in working through the most powerful pagan ruler of the time, Cyrus, to bring his people back home to a rebuilt temple. Nehemiah shows God's grace in providing for the rebuilding of the walls of the city that represented the heart of God's promises to his people. Esther shows God's grace in protecting his people from a Persian plot to eradicate them through a string of fortuitous events. Job shows God's grace in vindicating the sufferer's cry that his Redeemer lives, who will put all things right in this world or the next. Joel Shows God's grace in the promise to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Zechariah shows God's grace in the divine pledge to open up a fountain for God's people to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. And Malachi shows God's grace by declaring the Lord's no strings attached love for his people. Again, every book of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, God's grace can be found. God's grace can be found in every aspect, every part of the Bible. We need to understand that God is a gracious God. And we are typically not always the best people. So, I want to look here in in verses 15 through 18. I want to look at, there's two reasons, basically, if if you're to summarize, two reasons that the law can't undermine the covenant relationship established between Abraham and God. And this is really what Paul is trying to get across is, is that if through 15 and 16, it's, it's, the first one is once a covenant or will has been ratified, it cannot be altered. There should be an amen to that because we would be in a bad place <laughs> uh, if God could have changed his mind. All right? In 17 and 18, the law was not essential to the unconditional covenant granted to Abraham. All right? Regardless if the law came or not, the covenant was still in place. Again, remember the parentheses. Now, when I say the law, I think some of you maybe some of the way some of you are looking at me. Hopefully there's nothing on my face, but it's it's probably because there's when we say the law, there's lots of of laws. There's a few different kinds of laws in the Bible. And especially two that might be somewhat confusing is there's the Mosaic law, and the Ten Commandments, All right. Those are two, two different laws. Perhaps you knew that, maybe you didn't. But those are two different laws, and I want to kind of just compare and contrast a little bit the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments. Paul here is speaking about the Mosaic Law, all right? The Mosaic Law, all right? The Mosaic Law contained uh, the ordinances, contained in it ordinances, like things that they're supposed to operate by. The the uh, Ten Commandments, we call it the royal law. Maybe you've heard that term. And that is uh, kind of basically love God, love your neighbor. All right? That's, that's the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, Mo- the Mosaic Law was written by Moses in a book. The Ten Commandments were written by God on stone. The Mosaic Law was placed at the side of the ark. The Ten Commandments were placed inside of the ark. The Mosaic law was added because of sin, all right? Children of Israel, they couldn't get it together, and so God, in his graciousness, added the law to give them a standard by which to approach him and how to operate and what it should look like, all right? And the Ten Commandments point out sin, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Remember all those? I mean, remember the Ten Commandments? Three people. Great. All right. We know we're preaching on next week. Um, The Mosaic Law, and this this is key here, the Mosaic Law ended at the cross. The Ten Commandments will stand forever. If you are a Christian, I hope that you can go through the Ten Commandments and agree on all ten of them. Right? Is that fair? That has not changed. Now, again, if you go through the Mosaic Law, there's a few things in there you might want to hopefully, are setting aside these days because it ended with the cross. Nobody's sacrificing any animals or anything, correct? All right. All right. Verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. And again, it says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. A gentleman by the name of E. Bamel, okay, he points to uh, this procedure that are of Jewish inheritance laws, okay? Because when we read this, any, how many of us know that things can be amended and changed? Even things that shouldn't be amended and changed. I mean, I, you, probably 100 years ago, maybe you could have used marriage. These days, you know, it's kind of like rolling the dice. It, you just, so many people, they get married and they get divorced, they get married, divorced. And so it's not a, you're not tied in like you, you were back in the day. Here, and so when Paul says that, even during that time there were ways to get out of things. There were ways for uh, these agreements and these covenants to be annulled. But again, as, as this gentleman points out, there was Jewish inheritance laws, okay by which a person could make an irrevocable testament to another prior to death. Has anybody ever heard the parable of the prodigal son? All right? The prodigal son. So in that story, his father, you know, the prodigal son, very disrespectful in that time, in that culture. Uh, it would be very disrespectful for a son to go to his father and demand his inheritance while the father is still living. It would be, it's, it's bad, very bad. Because basically it's almost saying like, I, I want you dead so I can have my, my wealth and my inheritance now. And that wise, that's why it was such a big deal when the father gave him his inheritance, and that was the same kind of thing what this is talking about, is that the father could sign away his inheritance and give that to him, and it was done. There was no, you know, here's some of it, see how you do it, and I'll take it back, or there was no, it was, it was basically like the same as if you did a last will and testament, and you, you know, when, that's one thing that kind of holds up, isn't it? When that person dies, you know, it doesn't get changed, does it? It's carried out. And so it's the same kind of thing. So there were uh, these Jewish inheritance laws that, that uh, were legal transactions, and, and this is really what that picture of in the prodigal son was. And so when Paul is speaking here, again, it, it, he's saying that no one can annul this covenant. This covenant that was between God and Abraham, there's nothing that can be done to take that away. There's nothing that can take place. There's nothing that even Abraham could do to annul that it was set into motion and it was going to happen, which is good for us because God's promises do come to fruition. Let me break it down another way. Whatever it is that God has put in your heart today, whatever it is that you've been waiting for, whatever it is that you know that God has promised you or that God has shown you and it might not have happened yet, you can trust that God will come through on what he has promised. Because he's a good God, and he's a gracious God, and he is God. And perhaps you've experienced things in your life, or perhaps you're sitting here today, it's seeming a thousand miles or kilometers in the opposite direction of what it is that you believe God has called you to, or promised you, or maybe you've made mistakes, and you've you've just totally wrecked the whole thing. God's promise will come about. And perhaps some of the pain and some of the suffering that you are experiencing is God trying to work things out in you, that God is trying to get your attention, and that God is trying to get through to you, that it's not him, you waiting on him, it's him waiting on you. And he will get you to the place, because the word of God says what? That he's faithful to complete the work that he began. So whether you like it or not, God is going to be faithful to you, even when we're not faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 16 says, Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, again, offspring, as many of us reading, you don't need to do some big in-depth study to figure out that offspring can be used for one or multiple people. All right. All of my boys are my offspring. My one son, Isaac, that's stuck in here listening to me today is my offspring. I can say it either way, whether talking about all of them or one. Correct. And so Paul is seemingly like what's what's Paul getting at? What's the deal is Paul, you know, are we smarter than Paul? Probably not. Okay. This guy was really intelligent. He had lots of languages and really genius guy. Uh, And he wrote a lot of the New Testament, so, uh, so Paul definitely knew what he was doing, right? He was up to something here, and so what he he wanted to demonstrate that the fulfillment of the promise, all right, was not biological, but christological, right? Christological is just a big thing, meaning of Christ. His whole point is that we are not. Uh, offspring because our forefather was Abraham. We are offspring now because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That is where we find our salvation. Everybody should be amen and raising their hands and find some charismatic up in here because we would not be here today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Abraham, the covenant was only to the Jews initially, right? It was to the Jews. We're disqualified as soon as we... We come out into the world, right? It's like, are you, No, nope? okay. Well, we know where you're headed. But praise God that Jesus came and died on the cross to fulfill the covenant, to make a way for you and for I to enter in and to be adopted as we've covered into the family of Christ. You see where these terms come from now? The family of God. We don't use that just because it, you know, looks good on a sign or it sounds nice and warm, we truly are the family of God because we are adopted into it through Jesus Christ. And that's good news. That is good news. Unlike many other places in Paul's epistles where Paul contrasts Adam and, and Christ, who's also referred to the second Adam or the last Adam, here, is, here he is focused on Abraham and Moses. Okay, He's focused in on this because he's He's coming against this Jewish mindset because what they did is they took those parentheses that we talked about and they stretched them out to make them the sentence, and it's it, they 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 used it to kind of cover over the original covenant where the you know the covenants here again those parentheses are just in between, and that's that's what not their focus had switched to this parenthesis part. You see. We, we, again, we belong to a family. You understand that? This is your family. And we have a much bigger family that's worldwide. We belong to the family of God. And with Adam, okay, we were under the curse, and it covered the entire human race. Because we are descendants of Adam, we are born with sin in us. All right? I'm going to touch on this for a second because some people always look at me like, how's that? What about a baby? It's like, listen, if you have children or if you're around them, especially when they're young, it does not take you, you don't have to hold a class with diagrams and a whiteboard to teach them how to not tell the truth. Right? Did you eat this cookie before dinner? No. They've got like chocolate smeared all over their face and cookie crumbs all around and the dog's licking their hand. Did you teach them that? Maybe I don't know. Maybe somebody did, but but you don't you don't have to tell them how to not tell the truth, do you? Because it's self-preservation. They just they want to save themselves. They just care about them not being honest with you. You don't have to teach kids, even even in a baby. Hey, come, you know, one years old, whatever. Come here, and they look at you and they just walk the other way. It's not because they don't understand what this is or this is. They're just like. I don't want to come to you. I'm going to go do whatever I feel like. You don't teach that to them. That's sin nature. There's nature in us to sin. And so under Adam, that's what we are. But in Christ, again, in Paul's point here, is that we are the true offspring of Abraham, are all those that have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that have acknowledged what he did on the cross and made him Lord of their life, and therefore they are adopted by grace, all right, we are adopted by grace through faith. This is also if you've if you ever hear the term in some Christian circles, and maybe hear we talk about being born again. All right, anybody ever heard that? Born again Christian. I'm a born again Christian. If, I mean, this is I, I, we call this sometimes Christianese. You know, like our language that we speak in churches. And if you went to somebody that had never been in church and, you know, hi, how you doing? I'm a born-again Christian. They're going to be like, "Uh, (laughs) I don't know how that happened. But they don't understand what that means because they're thinking in the physical, right? How are you possible to be born again? But what we're saying is that we're born again into the family of God, all right, through Christ. And this also, if you, do you recall a few weeks ago uh, when I, I preached a message and it, we were talking about the table of fellowship. Remember Paul? Remember Antioch? Remember the showdown, the public you know, yelling right there and getting into it with Peter? And this is why he was so angry and upset was because Peter had cut these people off because he was embarrassed or because these people of prominence showed up, these Jews, and he wanted to impress them. And so he cut his true family off that were in Christ. And wouldn't even sit at the same table with him. And that, that's why it was such a big deal to Paul, because he was going against this, this idea. Now, if you look around the room, I think you'll notice that there are a few ethnic differences. Just a couple in here, okay? Uh, people from a few different places. And again, our, all of us, our identities. Have lost their definitive mark once we are in Christ. You see, and that's what's what's great about this church is that, and I love I'm going to talk about my kids again, but they don't they see all of you and you guys are you guys are the church. You're their family. They don't see skin color. They don't see how you dress. They don't ask you your credentials, uh, what you do. They don't care about where you're from. You're, you're their peeps, right? They're their, you're their family. And, and this is important for us to come back because it, it can creep into the church, our culture, our what we're used to. It's not taking away, I'm not telling you not to embrace your culture, but at the end of the day, the Bible is what supersedes anything from culture. That's right. And whenever whether there's a conflict in the church, whenever there's problems in the church or there's a disagreement, the first thing that you need to do is probably drop to your knees and ask God by his Holy Spirit to show you what you're holding on to. Is it biblical or is it just what you've always done or what you've always known? Because if it doesn't line up with scripture, it is our job as Christians to grow in that and to let that go. It may not be something we prefer, may not be something that we like, but the Word of God is the Word of God, and that is our standard. That is the standard in this church. That's for Steve and I and anybody else. If there's ever anything that you see in us, again, come talk to us. Come talk to us. Because I'll admit it, I know Steve would too. We're it's our tendency to revert back to what we know. It's the same thing we've been talking about for the past how many weeks that the Jews are doing. They're reverting back to what they've always done, but it's wrong now. <laughs> it's like once the hammer starts hurting when you're hitting your head, you would hope somebody would come and say, you know what, I think there's a better way. I know that your family has done this your whole life, but there's, there's something better for you. All right? When we look across this room, when you look around, you should see brother, sister, brother, sister, brother, sister. That's it. That's it. And if you call somebody a brother or sister, I would hope that that means that you love that person. And if you love that person, if there's disagreement, if there's discord, then what do you do? You sit down with that person and you work through it. And you may not come into an agreement even. But it doesn't mean you break relationship. It doesn't mean you break fellowship. Just like what Paul's doing here. He called them brothers, right? And I would hope and pray that that's what we do in this church. Verse 17 This is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. See, for Judaizers, the revelation of the law at Mount Sinai marked the real beginning of Israel's history by giving them a true national identity while establishing their unique role in the economy of salvation. This was a very important thing. For us, it's, it's not as big of a, we're kind of like, okay, it's just part of the whole story. For them, this is what defined them. That's why Moses is so prominent. When you read through the Bible and they're always talking about, are you Moses? You know, when they see, you know, different people or whatever, they, they want, Moses was a big deal to their, uh, their faith and, and their, what they followed and what they believed. And understandably, and that's what I want to get across is, you know, we can be really hard on them, but we would probably be sucked into the same thing. Moses was a big deal, and so you're in this transition period of unlearning some of these things. Now, one thing that I, I, I want to point out, and even in my studying, um, a, a lot of people say, there's kind of, let, just let me finish everything before you judge me, okay? Okay. Unlike, so a lot of people would say, unlike when the law was given, there were, basically there were no requirements when the law was given, or I'm sorry, when the covenant was given to Abraham, except for his faith, right? Most of us would agree. I would, I would have said that if I wasn't here preaching and had studied beforehand, um, because there wasn't. God gave it by faith, right? But I think that we also have to focus that there is something else. If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles... To Genesis, um, let me mark my place. Uh, Genesis twenty-six, five. Okay, you're giving my thunder away here. That's okay. All right, go. Can you go back one verse, or is that is it? All right, I could just turn to my Bible here, too. All right, I'm gonna turn to my Bible. You get it up there on the screen. Is it up there now? 26.4. All right, let me just use this. All right, what does it say? I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, this is God speaking, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Verse five, here it is. Because Abraham, what does it say? Obeyed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. There's other other places. I'm not going to go to all of them. So the point is this. We accept what we receive by faith, all right, through grace, but it should produce obedience. Okay? Okay? And I think we sometimes miss the mark a little bit. While we live under grace, we sort of like, well, I'm, I'm saved. Now I can just do whatever I want to do, and I'll just ask for forgiveness. And there's, I meet these people, and some of them I, I wonder if they're even Christian, to be honest, because it's like they always want to see just how far they can toe the line or how they look over the edge without falling, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. And then they just, you wouldn't know that they were a Christian from anybody else. Now, again, God sees the heart, and I understand that there's, there's growth and things like that. But, you know, I think we've touched on this. I forget where, which, which uh, sermon series. But we, we've said before, Jesus Christ is our what? Our Lord and Savior. But unfortunately, many people just say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. They don't want to acknowledge the Lord part. Because what does Lord mean? <laughs> the, <laughs> we're not in charge anymore, are we? We're not our own. And the reality is if you are a Christian and you identify Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were purchased with a for a price, for an extreme cost, which was Jesus dying on the cross. So you are not your own. And the reality is again, when we accept the covenant and we all of its benefits, it should at some point we should be walking in obedience to what God has for us. Anybody Anybody know, probably not, there's none in here. Any, I would call them spoiled or just rotten kids. Rotten kids, okay. No, no? Oh, okay, teachers, yes. None of our kids here in CIC. We got great kids. Um, rotten kids, I would call them rotten, in, in, in not our church, other, but there's kids in the world. Let me explain what I'm talking about. These are the kids, they come over to your home, and when the parents come around and, oh, hello, Mr. Motter, how are you? Hi, Mrs. Motter, you look great today. You are so, da-da-da, and your your cookies are amazing. How are you? And they're just, da-da-da-da-da. And then as soon as they go into the room with your child, all, I don't know if I can say that, from, but it all breaks loose, right? <laughs> I got to use it in context from the scripture if I'm going to use it. But I would call it that. It's, it's. It just, you know, and they're they're mean, and they, I've seen kids that pit my kids against one another and stuff, but you know, when the parents are around, they're all, they know the what? The actions, yeah. and they know what to say, and they know what to do, but when they get, when their parents not around, their true person comes out, and their true motives come out, and really, that's, that's what I think kind of is a, is a picture of, of what I'm talking about here, is that. A lot of times we know the actions and we know what to do. We know how to act, you know, here and when we're around people. But how do we act the rest of the time? And are we being obedient to what God has set before us? So there's, there's three points here I just want to pause that I want us to just make sure we see. One is the faithfulness of God. The second is, is how late the law came in. And the third and most important is the gift of the promise That was made. The gift of the promise that was made. In verse 18 of Galatians there. Let me see if I can... All right, this term, inheritance, inheritance, it says, "...for if the inheritance comes by the law..." It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, this term inheritance is introduced for the first time, and it's the it's blessing that's promised by God, all right? And it was crucial for Paul to distinguish that this original covenant of promise was different than that from the law of Moses, okay? It was different than that from the law of Moses. The law demands do this. All right? The law demands do this, the promise grants accept this. Okay? How many are happy that we're under the promise? <laughs> because it's a whole lot more receiving than it is giving. Now, out of our receiving, our natural response should be to give. But we get into trouble <laughs> when we switch it. Right? When we give to receive. Again, I'm on the kids this morning. I don't know why. But, you know, when your, when your kid comes up to you, Hi, Daddy. I love you. They climb in your lap. They're being super nice. You know, just all this stuff. Here's, here, let me share my cookie with you. And the first thing you say is, what do you want? Right? Because this is not normal behavior. Why? Because they are giving to receive, right? I don't give anything to my kids. We do not give to receive. And here's the deal, all right? If law, if we go back here to what we're talking about, the law, if law, then there is no promise, okay? If you're going to choose to abide by the law, then... There is no promise for you, okay? If works, then no grace. Which will you choose? It's kind of like the test that, you know, you're given the answers, but you choose to write something else down. Said no one ever, right? If the teacher says the answer is C, I'm going to think I'm going to put B because I don't think you're right. Who does that? (laughs) Nobody, all right? It's, we, again, If law, no promise is available. If that's what you want to abide by and you want to do, don't look for the promise. As we wrap things up here, I want to close with a a quote from Martin Luther. He says this, Lady Law, he calls it, Lady Law, you are not coming on time. You are coming too late. Look back 430 years. If these were rolled back, you could come. But you are coming too late and tardily, for you have been preceded for 430 years by the promise to which I agree and in which I gently rest. Therefore, you have nothing to do with me. I do not hear you. Now I am living after Abraham, a believer. Or rather, I am living after the revelation of Christ, who was abrogated and abolished you. Thus, let Christ always be set forth to the heart as a kind of summary of all the arguments in support of faith and against the righteousness of the flesh, the law, works, and merits." See, church, it is hard to admit that there is nothing that we can do to warrant salvation. The only thing you can do is to cry out for help. That's it. And see, there's this misconception, and it was kind of what happened back then, but we can fall into the same thing where, a lot of people, I think, by faith, they can accept the gift of salvation. But if we're not careful, we can easily slip back into this work for a result, work for what you're get, getting, right? We, we know in this world that if it's, if it's you know, there's, there's, there's no, you can't get something for nothing, is, is what we would say, right? Or we say that it's too good to be true, you know, when you find that deal and, oh, my goodness, this is awesome, and you get home and the cops show up because it was stolen or something or it falls apart. That's, that's the same same kind of thing. It's, you, no, it just doesn't work like that. But with salvation, it does. With salvation, it does. And as you draw closer to God and as you grow in your walk with, with, with Christ, again, our, our response, everything, once we realize the price that was paid, The sacrifice that was made, you know, you you read about Christ's suffering even before the cross. And you see that the price was so high but that he did it because he loves each and every one of us. And because of that, that is why we are able to be saved. And don't do a, a, a disservice and take away anything from what the cross means to us. You take away the power of the cross when you think somehow that you can do something to warrant God's favor. Now, again, God blesses us. When we are obedient naturally, it's just like, again, parents with their kids, you know, if we, don't, we don't demand things just to be mean. We, de- we, we want obedience because we want our children to, to grow and to be protected. Like, you know, you tell your child, don't walk out into the highway, but they want to go across because they don't understand the danger that's there. You're trying to protect them. You're trying and if they would just listen, their life will be better. And someday once they mature, they will understand why you did what you did and why you didn't let them do things that they wanted to. So it comes down to just trust trust Jesus. Trust this. This will not steer you wrong. People will steer you wrong. People will fail you. But the word of God, this is how God speaks to us primarily. Okay? And we need to be in this, and we need to know how much God loves us and what he wants for our lives. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today, God. I thank you for this time together, Lord. I pray that you... Just take, Lord, what's been shared today, even in its imperfections, and, God, you, you, you make that real to each one here, that you speak by your Holy Spirit, God. And that is the, the true gift that came as a result, is that we have the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that pushes us towards obedience, that lets us know when we're, we're drifting off and we're moving away from what God wants. God, I pray that, that our prayer would be to be led by the Holy Spirit in everything we do and say. Lord, for those that are in places of decision today or, or difficult circumstances, Lord, I pray that they, they pause and they're able to stop and to just just spend time with you and spend time with your word and to hear from you. Lord, I'm thankful. I am thankful, Lord, today for the promise The promise that you gave to Abraham, which was Jesus Christ, that one day his offspring, Jesus, would pay the price and make a way for the promise to become true. God, ask you to bless each person here. Help us to be more like you, Lord, and to be obedient in a response to your graciousness to us. In Jesus' name.